We are in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 11. What that means is, if you've been here the whole time, you come next week, by the end of next week, we will have read one entire book of the Bible this year, and that's the book of Ecclesiastes. You will have read every verse in Ecclesiastes. So you can say, hey, I read one book of the Bible this year because it was on the screen. I saw it too. And listen, so that's our goal. Our goal is to find out what the Bible teaches. And Solomon has said a lot. Solomon looks at, it was written by Solomon near the end of his life, He looks at life from the perspective of life under the sun. In other words, pull God out of the picture. Assume that there's just life on this planet, nothing else. Here's what it looks like. And basically, his assumption is life under the sun without God is like chasing wind. You're just, it's it's, it's worthless. It's, that's good. I love it. I love this stuff. Uh, Somebody said, you know, does it bother you to have little kids in church? No, I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I love having kids in here. This is, this, that's what family does. You know, we're going to have dinner with family today. We're not going to look at all the little kids and go, okay, now go away. Uh, we're going to have them all together with us. Because uh, that's what we do. Okay, yeah, not yet. When they're teenagers, maybe. But, no. Uh, so, I love having the kids in here. But Solomon is looking at life under the sun, and, and we talked about all the way up until chapter 9. In chapter 10, we talked about this last week. What Solomon does, he takes a parenthesis, and he says, I'll tell you what. He said, let me give you some proverbs, if you will, or some snippets about things that are important in life. And then next week, he's going to come to a whole conclusion about all everything that, he assume, everything that he's learned about life. And, and so next week, he'll wrap it all up. But in chapters 10 and 11, it's almost like he takes this little journey, if you will, to the book of Proverbs, which he wrote most most of Proverbs. And he wrote early in his life, Song of Solomon. But in chapters 10 and 11, he takes kind of carves out those two chapters and says, hey, here's some important things about life. And we talked about a lot of uh, a lot of them last week in chapter 10. And so this morning we're going we're gonna to get into chapter 11, and he's got about four or five of them that I think will be helpful to us this week. So here we go, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. He's going to talk right off the bat, I'm just going to warn you, he's going to talk about money, okay? And that's what he's hitting. Uh, Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1, here's what he says. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a serving to seven, also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Now, you go, well, where's money in that? Now, let me explain to you what he's talking about. In, in this culture, the thing that had value was bread. Because you needed bread every day. Now, their bread was not like our bread. If, if you and I were to take the bread that we buy in a store and throw it in the water, what's going to happen? It's going to get all soggy and it's going to sink. Their bread was kind of like pita bread. It was, it was, it, they were, they were it's, it's kind of, think of a, I like euros. It, 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 think of it as a, as a pita uh, bread that a euro's wrapped in. And you throw that in the water, well, it ain't going to absorb and sink. It's going to be floating for a while because that's the way it is. Now, here's the thing. Because bread was something they needed every day, and because it was a, a, a substantial part of life, you didn't waste it. So when Solomon says, take your bread and throw it on the water, it's almost the idea of being somewhat careless with it, if you will. You have so much bread that you can just go out and throw it on the water. And he says, and notice what he says about it, You'll find it after many days. The idea is it'll stay out there, it'll come back to you. It's, it's that kind of thing. Here's what he's saying. 
He's saying, look, and you're, one of the things that he's learned in his life, one of the things that's important in life is this, be generous. Don't be stingy. Don't take all your bread every day and just hoard it all and keep it all to yourself. Be willing to be generous with it. And that's what he's saying. And you know it as well as I do. Those of you who have practiced this, you know as well as I do. When you're generous with your time, your talents, your money, your gifts, God, God, God blesses you and uses that in tremendous ways in your life. You know that. And that's all he's saying. He's saying, look, you know what? Be generous. Because here's the bottom line. You know, everybody looks at me and goes, well, you know, uh, you know, that's all churches want is money. You know how we deal with money here, and we don't say a big deal about it. But when we get to passages that talk about it, we talk about it. Here's the thing. Everything that you have, God gave you. And if God really wants it back, he'll just take it. You ever thought about that? It's his. If he really wants it, he'll just take it. Why? Because he owns it anyway. You're just a steward of it. I'm just a manager of it. I've just been entrusted with these talents and gifts and abilities and money and resources and things that God has given me. I, they're just on loan to me. They're not mine. So I just want to be the best manager of them that I can be. And part of being a good manager of them is to be generous with them. Why? Because God's been generous to me. That's one of the principles. And Simon says, look, let me just tell you something about money. Be generous. And then, notice what he says. He says, give a serving to seven also to eight, for you don't know what evil will be in the earth. You know what he's saying here? He's telling you what any good money manager would tell you. And you know what a money manager, if you go to a money manager and say, hey, look, I want to set up an IRA, or I want to set up an investment for down the line, the one thing every money manager will tell you is this, diversify. Let's not put it all in one place. Let's spread it out a little bit. We'll put some in this kind of market and some over here, and we'll put some over here and some over here. Because if this goes up, a lot of times this goes down. And if that goes down, this usually goes up. So if we're diversified, we don't have all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. That's all Solomon's saying. He's saying, when it comes to your money and stuff like that, be careful you don't put everything in one basket. Be careful that you don't become so focused on stuff that everything's in one place. And I see a lot of people make this mistake. Where they go, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to save, 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 save. They put all their money in savings. They put all their money in investment. Put all their money here. And then neglect this other area, all these other areas of their lives. And I watch people who, one of the things I'm, I'm starting to teach now in marriage counseling when we get to finances with young couples is one of the things that I tell them is, look, learn to live off percentages. And it will change the way you handle your money. So in other words... Let me show you how this plays out, okay? Let's say that, and words, come up with percentages for everything. So, for instance, um, what percentage of your income is going to go towards your house payment? See, most of us think in terms of dollars. I have a $1,000 house payment, so I'm going to pay $1,000 for my house. And that's how we live. No matter what our income is, we just keep making that $1,000 payment. But if you learn to live at percentages, follow what happens. Let's say I look at it, and when I start out, and again, this is what I teach young couples. When you start out, let's say, let's say your housing is 10% of your income. You're going to spend 10% of your income on your housing. Now, what happens when you get a raise? So I'm making $10,000. I got $10,000 income. I take 10%. It goes to my house. I pay $1,000 towards my housing. Now, when I make $20,000, how much goes towards my housing? Now $2,000. And then when I make 
$30,000, how much is going to go? Now, $3,000. What happens to my mortgage when I do that? Boom, 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 boom. Why? Because I'm learning to live off a percentage. That's smarter. Because what do most people do? I have a $1,000 house payment. And then I, get, I go to $20,000, and I'm still paying $1,000. And I go to $30,000, and I'm still paying $1,000. And 30 years later, I make the last payment on my, house, on my mortgage. Why? Because we've learned to live by dollars, not by percentages. And that's what Solomon's saying. So I'm encouraging young couples now, look, I don't care what the percentage is. I come up with a percentage. How much are you going to give away? How much are you going to spend on housing? How much are you going to spend on, on cars? How much are you going to spend in investment? How much are you going to put in life insurance? How much are you going to put in savings? Come up with percentages. And as income increases or decreases, the percentages. You're living by percentage. The dollar amounts are going to constantly change. And that's all Solomon's saying. He's saying, look, diversify. He's saying... Here he says, look, give, it to, give a serving to seven, also to eight. You don't know what evil is going to You don't know what's going to happen next. And that's what a good money manager tells you. You don't know what's going to happen next, so let's, put it, let's spread it out a little bit. And that's, all, and that's good advice for all of us. And then he goes on. Notice what he says in verse uh, 3. I love this passage. Um, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. If a tree falls to the south and the north, in the place where the tree falls, there shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the right way, what is the, what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is a child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. You know what Solomon's saying here? You're not in control. Control is an illusion. You get that? We think we are in control. I got news for you. One doctor's visit will change everything. One financial meltdown in the economy is going to change everything. One election can change everything. One turn in the job that you're in changes it all for you. You're not in control. And that's what Solomon says. He says, look, control is an illusion. Understand that. And he gives you some principles. Notice what he says. I, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. If a tree falls to the south or the north, or the place that it falls, there it shall lie. You know what he says? Stuff happens. And you don't have any control. You don't have any control that when the tree falls, whether it goes to the north or to the south. You go, no, 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 I'm a woodcutter. I know that if you cut on this side, it'll always drop here. Really? Talk to somebody who's always cut wood, and you know what they'll tell you? I can make the best plans in the world, but there's some stuff that I don't know. I didn't know that that tree was rotten. I didn't know that it was going to go that way. I didn't know this. I didn't know that. Why? Because Solomon says, look, you, you, you can do the best you can, but you're not in control of it. When do, the clouds, when do the clouds open up and it starts raining? When they're full. You got any control over that? No, stuff happens. Understand that. Because what happens is something happens in our life, and we interpret it as, oh, no, that's a good thing or a bad thing from God. You know what it could be? It could just be stuff happens. Like the Bible says, you know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You know, it's not like, oh, they got more rain than I do. They must, God must be happier with them than he is with me. It rains. That's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, look, it rains. Stuff happens. And then notice what he goes on to say. He observes the wind will not sow. He regards the clouds will not reap. The guy who stands there and comes out in the morning and goes, oh, looks like it might rain today. I don't think I'll plant. Oh, it's too windy. I'm not going to plant today. I'm going to wait until everything's just right. We call that guy 
a guy who has no harvest. Why? Because the old country saying, you make hay when the sun shines? That's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, look, do the best you can with what you got, but make a decision and move. If you're going to stand and wait for everything to be perfect, and here's what's happening. Some of you are stuck right now in life. You're, you're at a crossroads. You're trying to make a decision, and you've been trying to make that same decision for weeks, months, even years, and you keep going, well, you know, when this happens, and that happens, and this happens, and this happens, and that, and that, and that. Just do it. Oh, but I'm waiting for it to be just. Then you know what? You're not going to reap anything. You're stuck. And there comes a point at which there's time to move on and take the next step. And that's where some of you are with God, by the way. God keeps talking to you about doing, taking the next step, taking the next step, taking the next step. And you know what? You don't want to take the next step. You're just stuck there because you're afraid to just jump and do what you need to do. There's not going to be the perfect time to tell that person that you work with about Christ. You wait and you look for that opportunity, but sometimes they're just going to point. You just need to say it. Sometimes there's not the right time to. I mean, you want to be discerning and you want all that kind of stuff. I get that. But there comes a point at which you've got to say, you know what? I love you, but you need to hear this. It's important. And that's what he says. He says, look, you know, if you just sit around and wait for the right time all the time, it may not come. And then notice he says this. And you do not know. He says this twice in one verse. Anytime you see something twice in the same verse, that's important. You don't know what's the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. You don't know the works of God who makes everything. Here's what he says. You don't know what God's doing. Why are you, so, so why do you think that you're in control? You're not. God is. You can't even explain to me how a baby gets all developed in the womb. To go from cell to bones, and which cells decide to be a heart, and which ones decide to be a lung, and which ones decide to be fat, and which ones decide to be uh, blood vessels. You, you can't explain that. I'm reading a book right now on the brain, and it is amazing how little we actually know about the brain scientifically. And there's all kinds of stuff that we can't even explain. We don't have any clue on. And I'm not talking about we. I'm talking about some of the smartest scientists on the planet don't know. People who have made their lives, dedicated their lives to studying this thing, go, we don't understand how that works together, but it does. You don't know. Why? We're not in control. Remember that. You're not in control this week. You may think you're in control. You're not in control this week. God is. And that's what Solomon says. He said, remember that. And then he goes on. Listen to what he says in verse 6. Um, he goes on and he says, in the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you don't know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether... Both alike will be good. Basically, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, make your life count. Make the day count. You get up in the morning, you sow the seed, and you're done, and then go do something else. <clears throat> you're not sure which seed's going to grow. You don't know if that seed, you know. And, and I, I, I had this attitude when I plant my garden. So I'm not sure which plants are going to grow and which ones aren't. So I think if I really want three good tomato plants, you plant 15. The reason that I come to church with buckets of tomatoes is because I didn't have confidence that my three would grow. So when 15 grow and I don't know what to do with them, I'm like, take them to church. You know, those people eat anything. Uh, 
really, I mean, that's the idea. That's what Silas said. He said, look, he said, you know, don't just sit around. Go do something. Make your life count. You have the whole day. You get stuff done in the morning, go on and do something later in the day. You want to just go out and enjoy the day? Then go out and enjoy the day. But don't just look at it and go, okay, I've done that, I'm done, I'm over. He said, make the day count. Notice what he goes on to say. Truly the light is sweet and is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Here's what he's saying. Solomon says, look, when, when, when you look at this whole thing called life, in the end, your days being dead will be more than your days being alive. That's what he says. So when I look at my great-great-great-grandfather, he's been dead longer than he, was, than he was alive. There's more days of death than there are life. So here's what he's saying. So life is this very fragile, short thing that you have. So make it count. Do something with it that makes a difference. Um, now, again, I, my wife and I last night, we watched um, The Bucket List. I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but in, in the movie, one of, in one of the scenes in that movie, um, Morgan Freeman is on, on a top of a mountain, and, he, and he, he, he tells the story about, I think it's the Tibetan monks. <laughs> and again, this is not my philosophy about heaven, but this is what, in the movie, he talks about. He says um, that, I think it's the Tibetans that say, that when you die and you stand before God, there are two questions that you get asked. And whether or not you get into heaven depends on how you answer those two questions. That's not what we believe, okay? I'm just, this is Hollywood belief. But there's some, there's some truth here. And he said, the two questions are this. The first question is, have you found joy in life? And the second question is, have you brought joy to others? Now, it's not a Bible thing, but there's some tremendous truth in that. Why? Because the Bible says Christ came that we might have life abundantly. That the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. There's an element which if anybody in this world ought to have joy, it ought to be us as believers who have Christ in our lives. And if anybody has a motivation to bring joy into the other life of other, other people, it should be us as believers who want to share that joy with as many people as possible. That's what Solomon's saying here. Solomon's saying, look, your life is short. It's got this, this, this certain amount of time. You're going to be dead longer than you're alive. So take and treasure that thing that you have called life right now. View it. Treasure it. Make it count. Make the day full. Enjoy the day. Find the joy in life and share joy with others. That's the concept here of what he's saying. He's saying, because look, when you look at the whole spectrum of things, you're dead longer than you're alive. So make life count. And then, and this is bizarre to me, but I love the, the fact that Solomon does this. Solomon now takes a step back and he talks specifically to young people. He's talking to people who are at the beginning of, of, of their life. Now, again, I understand the term young people is relative to where you are in life. When you're a high schooler, a young person is somebody in elementary school. When you're in college, a young person is somebody in high school. When you're my age, a young person is anybody under the age of 40. So I understand it's relative, but he's 
predominantly talking about younger people as a, you know, I'm guessing like 20 and under would be my guess. But notice what he says in verse 9. And it talks specifically to them. And he starts by saying this, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart, put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Here's what he says. He's talking to kids now, and, and, and I want to I say this. I want to dress kids and, and, and young adults and teenagers and all that. Rejoice in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. He said, look, there is something innocent and unique about seeing the world through the eyes of a child. Um, I was reminded of it this week. Now, I have been very good about not doing this, but I have waited seven months, and that is long enough. So here is a picture of my granddaughter. Um, hey, uh, put that next picture up, okay? This week, Aaron put her in the grass, and the first thing that she saw was a dandelion. Now, the next picture is of her putting it in her mouth, but uh, that's what she does next. But this is a dandelion through the eyes of a child because they see everything new and everything different and everything unique. This is a dandelion through my eyes. Give me the next picture. <laughs> Because this is what I did this week. I sprayed 2,4-D all over my yard to get rid of the dandelions. Why? Because I see dandelions much differently than my seventh-month-old granddaughter. Here's what Solomon's saying. There's something great. There's something unique. There's something incredibly special about seeing it when you're young. And kids, you're in a world where unfortunately your innocence gets stolen from you through media and everything else at a younger age than it ever did for any of us. And this is what I would say to you. Don't be in too big a hurry to grow up. Because it's a 2-4-D world kind of out there. And you need to be able to enjoy the dandelions. And you need to be able to look at the world with that fresh, innocent kind of thing. And parents, we need to do what we can to protect our kids from that so that they are allowed to grow up in that world in which there is an innocence and an excitement and a, and, and a freshness about it. Um, go back to the passage um, that we had up there. And notice what he says, because he gives you a little bit of a warning. Um, and he says, and in the sight of your, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that all these things God will bring you into judgment. I want to talk about this for a second, because most of us, when we think about God's judgment, think about it in a negative concept. And, and most parents bring their kids up this way, you know, you know don't do that or God will get you. Um, and we kind of have that mentality that we grow up. I am a judge in the state of Iowa for speech. I'm a certified speech judge in the state of Iowa, okay? And I judge robotics. 
um, I judge robotics competition where kids come in and they bring robots that they made and, and this. So I, I have a, a, I'm very familiar with the concept of judging. Here's what you need to understand. When I sit as a judge, I'm not looking for what they did wrong. I'm looking for what they did right. See, my mindset as a judge is not to figure out, I mean, every kid, every performance, every robot, we're trying to figure out something you can improve on. But 90% of our comments are about things that we like, things that they did well. So when I go to judge, what I'm trying to decide is, who's the best of the best? I'm looking for who do I give that number one ranking to in speech? That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the number three. I'm looking for the number one ranking. And then I'm going to go through all my number ones at the end of the tournament, and I'm going to make recommendations on some of those to make them all state qualifiers. Because not only are they number one ranking, but they're, they're like the best of the number ones. Kids, it's the same thing with God. God is not looking to hit you over the head with a baseball bat. God's looking to say, I want to honor the kids that are really honoring me. I want to honor the kids that are putting me first. I want to honor those to whom honor should be given. And it's one of those perspectives where, and I've watched it play out over and over and over again, where kids going up through high school make smart decisions, not understanding the payoff years down the line. Why? Because God honors those that honor him. And that is so important to understand. And what Solomon is saying here is this idea of, look, make sure that you understand that. And he, and he tells you, he said, hey, kids, I'm going to give you some ideas here. He said, remove sorrow from your heart. Literally, here's the idea. Remove anger from your heart. There's nothing, kids, that will hurt you more than anger in your heart because it always, 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 always leads to rebellion. And Solomon says, I understand this. So you know what? Get that away from your heart. And then notice what else he says. And put away evil from your flesh. He says, I know that there are, there are things out there in your flesh that will destroy you. So put up some boundaries. Put up some barriers. Parents, that's our job. To put up some boundaries for our kids. You can't control whether or not your kids go over them. But it's our job to set up the boundary. And kids, you need to understand, there's coming a day. You're not going to be under your parents' boundaries anymore. You're going to be the one to set them. And if you're wise, you'll set boundaries that honor God. And if you're foolish, you won't. And when God goes to honor those who have honored him, it'll be okay job, not great job, not phenomenal job, not all-state kind of job, okay job. And choices have consequences. Good choices, good consequences. Bad choices, bad consequences. Fact of life. Reap what you sow. And Solomon says, look, understand that, kids. And then he gives a warning. Now he goes back to adults, and I love this. He goes back to adults, and he says, childhood and youth are vanity. We are one of the few cultures in the world that pursue youth. And so I want to talk to those of you who are older. Celebrate the fact that you're older. Stop trying to be young. There's nothing, 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 nothing more silly. Talk to college kids. There's nothing more silly 
than a 50-year-old trying to act like a 20-year-old. It's embarrassing. If you're 50 or 60, be happy or 50 or 60. There's nothing, there's nothing that drives me nuts more than these Hollywood people who feel like they got to look like they did 30 years ago, and they do this facelift thing to the point that every time you see them now, it drives me nuts. It's like, look, we all understand. You were 30 when I was 10. I don't expect you to look like you did 40 years ago. But we, oh, we put a, such pride in that. You know, I, I watch girls get so hung up on this idea of, well, I just wish I was at the weight that I was when I was 20. You've had four children. You work like a dog, and you want to look like you did 30 years ago? Really? Now, okay, I, don't, I, I might offend some of you with this, and I don't mean to offend you. I'm, this, is, this is just purely me. Okay? This is purely my thing. But when I had a granddaughter, I get asked this question a lot. What are they going to call you? They're going to call me Grandpa. And the reason they're going to call me Grandpa is because I've earned it. And the reason they're going to call him Grandpa is because I'm a Grandpa. You don't need to call me something goofy. You know, Peepaw or, you know... Popo or whatever else to, to hide the idea that I'm a grandpa. I'm a grandpa. I love it. And you go, oh, that makes you sound old. Yes, I'm old. I'm okay with that. Why? Because I've earned every gray hair or every hair that is gone that used to be there. I've earned them. And I don't have a problem not being young again. And Solomon says this, look, to pursue childhood and youth is, is like chasing the wind. I'm not saying you don't try to look nice, but come on. We're in a culture that's just become obsessed with it. And those of you who are of my age group, baby boomer thing, we're the worst. We're the worst. Because it's like, oh, no, we don't want to get older. You're, look, there's two choices. You get older or you die. I'm okay with getting older. I really am. I'm not saying you don't take care of yourself. I'm not saying you don't look nice. I'm not saying, but when we become obsessed with this youth thing, and by the way, we're one of the few cultures in the world that does it. And most other cultures, the most revered people in the culture are older people. But we got stuff so backwards in America, we look at, we look at 18-year-olds and go, ooh, that's who we want to be like. I don't want to go back. You couldn't pay me enough money to go back to 18. There is not enough money on this planet for me to go back and be 18 again. Um, I, you know, it's vanity. It's like chasing the wind. It's okay. You go, oh, are you, are you like against coloring your hair? No, I'm not against coloring your hair. No, I'm not. But, but. There's a line. There's a line. There's a common sense kind of line. You know, and, and, and here's my thing. You've got to spend like four hours to go grocery shopping, getting ready. You're probably past the line. Okay? It's, it's probably become a little too much for you. Step back and go, you know what? 
this is how God made me. This is who I am. This is how I look. I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to try to look nice. I'm going to try to look presentable. But, but, you know, in the country, if the barn needs painting, paint it. Don't rebuild it. Right? Um, that's my idea. All right? If it needs painting, paint it. But don't spend every morning rebuilding it. Um, all right. So here we go. Uh, wrap it up with this. A couple of things. A couple of takeaways. Be generous this week. Time, talent, money, efforts. Be generous this week. Go buy somebody a cup of coffee. Go take somebody to lunch. Stop over and help a neighbor. Be generous this week. Realize you're not in control. You're not. So the things that happen this week are out of your control. Some of them are completely out of your control. And God, for whatever reason, has allowed them into your life. Be okay with that. Be okay with that. Understand you have today, you have this moment. Treasure it. This week I had to change a belt on a mower. I had to change the drive belt on a mower. And there were two, there were two personalities that showed up in that project. <laughs> the first personality, <laughs> the first personality was I was ticked at the engineer who designed this thing. <clears throat> because I could tell he had never worked on changing a drive belt on a mower. It should not have been that difficult. Because in order to change the belt, I had to undo it in the front, and then I had to crawl underneath the middle of the mower, and then I had to go around to the back of the mower, and that was to take the belt off. And then to put the belt on, I had to do the same thing. Then I found out it wasn't a belt, it was a transmission problem, so then I had to do it all over again. So I had to do this nine times, at least. Crawling and stuff like that. And, and I started to realize that I'm not 20 anymore. And doing all that crawling around, laying on my back and, and scooting and doing all that thing. Uh, so the other side of me started to realize that there's going to come a point I can't do this anymore. And it was at that point that, you know what I started doing? I started saying, you know what, God? I'm really still ticked at the engineer, but... I'm grateful that I'm able to do it now because I know the day's coming I can't. And as hard as this is and as miserable as this job is and all the grass and all the stuff that's getting in my eyes and my back getting scratched up from scooting on the ground and, and yes, I had ramps and all of that kind of stuff, I had to step back and go, you know what? I'm grateful that I can do it today because I may not be able to do it tomorrow. You can spend all the time you want getting upset about what it could have, should have, or what it should be, and all of that kind of thing. But here's the thing. You have this moment. Treasure it, because you do have today. So make it count. And for the kids, be careful out there. Appreciate, value the life that you have. Learn, embrace the newness of everything. But make sure you know where your boundaries are. And for all of us, let's be careful about this pursuing you thing because it gets way out of hand sometimes. So my prayer goes like this. Solomon teaches us that life is a rare gift. We've got to be generous with our time, talents, and resources. We're not in control of our life, but we can determine what we do with the day we have in front of us. So make it count. Make it count. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we get so upset over some of the silliest thing. 
Lord, we lose perspective so often on things that matter and things that really don't matter. So, Lord, help us, because a lot of times we can gripe and complain about the situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in. But the reality is, Lord, you have been very, very good to us. The reality of it is we have this moment, this day. So for our kids, would you help them to make wise decisions as they go forward in life? As parents, would you help us to give them solid boundaries and parameters and guidelines? For all of us, Lord, may we be generous with the way we approach this week. And Lord, would you help us to understand that, Lord, you are in control, and the day that we have in front of us is a gift, and we need to use it wisely. So uh, help us to look at life differently this week. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may you be honored and glorified in the way we live it. These things we ask in your name. Amen.